Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Welcome to The Broad Experience, the show about women, the workplace, and success. I'm Ashley Miltite. This time, you're struggling at work, but you don't know why. I truly believe that at some point, this knowledge or this way of doing things would just kick in and I'd suddenly get it. And it just, I just never got there. That day never came. Then you find out your brain works a little differently from other people's. I did not suspect a thing. I called myself absent-minded and I thought I had some quirks, but uh, it was completely out of the blue that this was even a thing because they found out in a really funny way. And every woman in this story lived with her condition for years before she got a diagnosis. It started making me think about the last you know, 20 odd years and what's happened in my life. And it explained a lot of things. <laughs> Neurodiversity at work, how it helps, how it hinders, and what workplaces can learn. I have to admit that when Emma Case messaged me several months ago and used the word neurodivergent, I didn't know what it meant. Since then, I feel like I've come across that word or the word neurodiversity multiple times, it's the term used for brain functioning that differs a bit from what's generally considered the standard model. Emma said these women's perspectives are largely missing from the mainstream conversation on women in the workplace, and would I consider incorporating some into the show? So I'm starting with her story. Emma grew up in the English Midlands. She was always creative. At 17, she decided she wanted to work in the fashion industry, which she did, she became a buyer. And she'll tell you, the devil wears Prada isn't far off the truth. In many ways, that is a good example of what, what the industry can be like. And what I mean by that is that it is tough. It isn't easy. And while it is tough, it's tough for everybody. So I do think that that maybe masked my struggles. She says lots of people in fashion burn out at some point, and what she was going through at her last company could easily have been ascribed to that. It was a famous brand and a dream for Emma to work there. But she found the transition from small companies hard. She says in the small firms where she'd worked before, it was pretty chaotic. Everyone doing something different, people getting up and down, going in and out. And she did well in that environment. She says it allowed her to burn off some of her excess energy, and she was able to make her role her own. But at the big company, things were different. She worked in a silent room with the numbers people, the friendly chaos was gone, and she was expected to conform to company culture. She found all the rules and systems hard to keep on top of. In fact, she found pretty much everything hard to keep on top of. 
What happened for me was that I'd had this niggling feeling at the back of my mind for the longest time that something just wasn't right. I was still struggling. So as an example, I would go away on holiday and I would come back and it would almost be as if I was going into a brand new job. We might laugh about it that we forget the password for our computer or or those types of things. But it was more than that. It was things that I was doing day in, day out, and they just weren't sticking. To take one example. There was a company that I would need to visit maybe three or four times a week. And I'd have to hop on the underground and I'd need to, to get to their office. And there was a point in the journey where I would always get lost I just could not remember the route and I would do it three or four times a week. But each time it happened, Emma would put it down to not concentrating properly. When we struggle with things, and I am going to generalise, as women, we quite often put the blame at our feet. We think there's something that we're not doing, that we need to try harder, that there's there's something that we're missing. So I remember um, making sure that I wasn't on my phone, wasn't listening to music and Every time I entered that underground, at a certain point, it would feel as if I'd never been there before. But again, she blamed herself. She'd always had difficulties with certain tasks. Anything to do with organisation just wasn't her thing. She figured she would master this route at some point. And yet, this kind of thing had been part of Emma's life for years, and by now she was in her early 30s. She often had trouble turning up at the right place at the right time, She wasn't good at paying bills, setting up direct debits, or meeting deadlines in her personal or professional life. Still. It was very easy for me to just pass that off as somebody who just wasn't paying attention. Or I'd maybe not read the right thing, or I just hadn't figured it out yet. And so I, again, I just kept putting that at my feet. And at this point, and and this was the thing that I truly believed that at some point, this knowledge or this way of doing things would just kick in and I'd suddenly get it. And it just, I just never got there. That day never came. And as I, as the years progressed, it felt as if more was at stake. And so I was watching my peers pass me by. And yes, you know, people say comparison is a thief of joy, but believe me, that day when I sat on my bed and I considered my peers thinking about where they were and where I was, understanding where we started all together, it hit me then that there was something more to this. You mean you weren't where you weren't quite in the position you thought you should be in at that point? I wasn't in the position where I knew I should be. And you'll know this yourself. We know as individuals what we are capable of. We know it. And what my life felt like was giving 110% and only getting 50% back. That's what it felt like. I'm just curious, did you seek a specialist? Did you think I've got to take this to the next level? Like, How do you even come to be diagnosed? Well, I just, you know, I, I did the thing that we all, all do now is I, I hopped online and was just putting random words and searching on Google and just trying to find things. And, and at some point, I found a woman's story and I thought, that is me. That is my story. And it just said, and I have ADHD. And I was gobsmacked. ADHD, Attention Deficit Hyperactivity Disorder. 
Emma didn't just settle for a Google diagnosis. She did seek a medical opinion, and she was officially diagnosed at about 33 years old. But the reason she was so surprised is that, as she put it to me, ADHD was for little American white boys. Emma is black. That's how she thought of it. That's who she was aware of having ADHD. And she says many of us assume the same thing, that ADHD is about boys bouncing off the walls, not being able to concentrate in school, being disruptive. We tend to focus on the H, the hyperactivity in ADHD. For most women, or for many women, that H doesn't look the way that it might look in in boys and men. So that hyperactivity is internalised. So for many women, it manifests as anxiety. It's an inner hyperactivity, so that feeling of not being able to stop. So the, the wheels just don't stop turning in your head. Emma ended up leaving her employer before she got her diagnosis of ADHD. All she knew back then was that that environment wasn't for her, that she wasn't thriving there. She went into business for herself, and later on, she turned that business into Women Beyond the Box. It's a platform to support neurodivergent women and to bring attention to their successes. She has a top 50 list of women there on the website. As part of her work, Emma coaches individual women, and she's also hired by big companies to talk about neurodiversity and advise them on how to create a more inclusive workplace. One that accepts individual differences and capitalises on them, rather than forcing everyone into a corporate box. When I first spoke to you, you said, this is a feminist issue. Oh, it is. Absolutely. It is a feminist issue. There are just so many women who are not being diagnosed or misdiagnosed. And I I say it's a feminist issue because boys and men are diagnosed. Because when ADHD was, uh, you know, when the studies were being done around ADHD, it was men and boys that were in that sample. So that all of the key characteristics of ADHD are based on, on men and boys and what that looks like. So as I said to you about that H, that hyperactivity, it's very rare that you'll find women or, or girls jumping out of their seats at school. So we've been socialised to be, you know, more, I guess in many ways, good. Good, exactly. And so we don't want, we don't do that kind of thing. So it, all of that struggle is internal. And so what women tend to be diagnosed with is depression or anxiety or borderline personality disorder and those. So it's mood disorders. And so we know and this is not um, controversial for me to say that within medicine, women are quite often not listened to or we're, we're classed as being overly emotional or, you know, hysterical. It's that kind of thing. So we have this lost generation of women who are secretly struggling, thinking that they are dreadful, knowing that there's something good about them, but who might never realise their potential. And it's just sad. On the other side of the Atlantic, Paige Jeffrey was also diagnosed with ADHD as an adult. Well, I found out last summer, actually, and I did not suspect a thing. I called myself absent-minded and I thought I had some quirks, but uh, it 
was completely out of the blue that uh, that this was even a thing because they found out in a really funny way. Page is 34. She lives near Thunder Bay, Ontario, with her husband and two daughters. They're four and eight. And last year, her sister told Paige that she might want to get her older daughter checked for ADHD. She said her own daughter had recently been diagnosed, the condition ran in families, and she saw some similarities between the cousins. So Paige started doing some research. I will say at first that as much as I had heard that things can express differently in women, and I'm very much for equality and so forth, it just it kind of never occurred to me that ADHD was going to be the, like it. And I ended up looking into it and I went, oh, well, that's her and that's her and that's her. Wow, this is really bang on for my daughter. And then <laughs> while I was doing that, I went, oh, that's me and that's me and that's me. Paige had done really well in school. She was an honor student. But university felt so overwhelming, she didn't complete any secondary education. She says she's largely self-taught and she's done well, but as you'll hear in a bit, she often found office life a challenge. Like Emma, it seemed to her other people had a secret code for how this whole thing worked that she somehow lacked. But when Paige sought medical advice for her daughter and herself, she hit roadblocks. The first doctor I spoke to said that it's probably not ADHD. Your daughter probably has high anxieties and I I don't think you have ADHD either. I think it's just depression. This was in the beginning of the pandemic. So so she kind of assumed that uh, it was depression and anxiety for both of us. And that's how she was going to treat it. Paige went on to seek a second opinion. And while she was told it was highly likely she had ADHD, She says to this day she hasn't been able to get any diagnosis for her daughter, partly due to the Canadian medical system slowing down during COVID. But once she knew she had this condition, she took steps to get to grips with it. One of the things I ended up doing is I ended up getting a coach for ADHD. And um, it's funny because I remember listening to your episode on coaching and kind of coming away from it going, yeah, I could definitely see the advantages, but I don't I don't know that I would ever spend the money on it, you know. But I will say that she is invaluable and uh, she's just about the best thing ever. <laughs> she's given me so much insight into the way my mind works. And we've talked about how ADHD affects your executive functions. So like kind of the way your brain works. She says she does not cope well with having a big nebulous goal. Her brain needs to focus on something specific. Her coach helps her with that. So we really hammer down on action plans and we set a a time and a date to be accountable to. That's one thing you'll probably also often see in people with ADHD is like the procrastination is real. (laughs) Um, And I know this this probably happens with a lot of people in general, but like you'll find that uh, you procrastinate right up to, oh, I have a deadline in like a day and that's it. You'll blaze through it and somehow you'll get a good mark anyways. That's kind of how I got through school. (laughs) These days, Paige has her own business, so she does need to meet client deadlines. She's a web designer for small businesses, usually solopreneurs. I wondered if she ever tells her clients about her condition. 
it can depend a little bit. I've got some clients that are a little bit closer and I've explained to them, you know, cause we've kind of gotten close enough to, to be almost friends and stuff like that, that, you know, this is a thing. And, and um, we usually do that when it, it becomes a little more conversational and so forth, but it's not generally something that I tend to reveal. I don't know if I would reveal it to a boss necessarily, unless I felt comfortable. And I don't feel like people should, um, should have to be obligated to tell others. But I also understand the reality of it. The reality is that it'd be really nice to be able to say, well, everybody should be accepting of another person and accepting that not everybody thinks the same way as you do. But realistically, it it doesn't work out that way, you know, and that's basically what happened to me. She says in her previous life as an office worker, I go into a new job, usually very enthusiastically. I tended to be that person in the office that everybody would come to for help because I was usually able to figure out the problem. You know, if I have the the details of something, you know, I can take a look at it and be like, okay, we're going to do this and this and this. And oh, there we go. We fixed it. You know, even with um, processes in the office, you know, I'm really good at, at looking at it and going, well, if we did it this way, this would be a lot more efficient, you know, and I'm really good at, at connecting points A to B. What I'm not good at is defining the A and B points. And that's where I tended to trip up. She says a lot of people with ADHD have difficulty visualizing the end product. She says when people say, think outside the box, she can do that if she knows what the box is meant to look like first. But that can be hard to explain to managers. And how this worked out in practical terms is I would get a project and the boss would be like, okay, here you go, off you go. And I'd say, hold on a second, I have some questions. Because I needed to know what that blue box was going to look like. I needed to know what the end result was going to be in order to make sure that I'd done what they were expecting of me because often what was in their head was different from what I thought of in my head. And I had that happen a couple times too, where, you know, a boss has said, no, no, I'm done with this. You just need to go and do it, do it however you want. This is, this is what I want. And I'd come back and they'd be like, wait, what is this? You know, uh, no, this is, no, you have to go and fix this. This is wrong. So what I had a habit of doing is asking a lot of questions to, to start with at the beginning of the project. And I'd get bosses telling me, well, you have no initiative. Why can't you just take this project and run with it? And it's not that I don't have initiative. I absolutely have initiative. The problem is that when I don't understand what the end result should be, I struggle really hard with getting started and with proceeding forward. And um, I found ways to work around this. Um, At my last job, I had a really amazing friend who was the office manager who would help me understand what it is that that our boss was asking for so that I didn't have to go and bother the boss. (laughs) And once she knew what she was aiming for, she could bring all her creativity to the project. She just needed a little help kicking off. Still, Paige would always hit a point in a job where she got really bored. Once she'd mastered her role, her brain itched to tackle something new. So when she and her family moved north, away from the Toronto area to a small town, she decided to go freelance. When I had the opportunity to jump in to my own business, you know, it it gives me the flexibility to 
balance both large projects and smaller projects. So they kind of always have things going on. And the fact that I get to work with a new client every time and we're always doing something a little bit different, you know, there's a new way of expressing it. They've got a new brand. So it's a brand new personality that you have to work with. It it reinvigorates everything for me all on its own. I don't have to struggle with that. And that's one of the reasons why I like it so much. More from Paige a bit later in the show. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Michelle Jones is also from Ontario. And to tell her story, we need to go back in time almost 25 years. Back then, when she was a 19-year-old university student, Michelle found out some weird symptoms she'd been having were being caused by a brain tumour. But again, it took a while to get that diagnosis. My regular GP basically put it down to stress Uh, In my first year of college, I was a female, so I was going through hormonal things and literally that I was a hypochondriac. And I remember that so clearly because my brother actually went to the appointment with me. He'd been witnessing the changes in her behaviour and she wanted him there to corroborate what was happening to her. Still, that doctor wasn't worried. Luckily for Michelle, others were. The tumour was found, she had a successful operation and an intense but successful recovery. And she went back to her classes and then to her life for the next two decades. Then, about five years ago, she and her husband moved to the US, to the San Francisco area. She started having some chronic pain and she thought, I need to get this checked out. So she sees a neurologist, gets some tests done and goes in for the results. And I was sitting in his office and he was reviewing this MRI scan with me. And he basically just said, you know, everything looks great. There's nothing of concern. But I will say that you have a large part of your brain missing. Now, initially, Michelle thought, well, maybe he's talking about the brain tumor. So she said, well, yeah, I had this brain tumor removed when I was 19. And he said, no, that's not what I'm talking about. A good part of your brain isn't there. What he was pointing out was that um, a third, one third of my corpus callosum uh, was missing. And the corpus callosum is this sort of mesh system or, you know, the network that connects your left and your right hemispheres. And so this is how your brain talks to, you know, one side talks to the other. But with split brain, the term the neurologist used to describe her condition, that doesn't happen. Each hemisphere is working hard, but they're not really connecting. Michelle was shocked that she'd never known about this missing part of her brain, which must have been removed during her tumour operation. Also, it started making me think about the last, you know, 20 odd years and what's happened in my life. And it explained a lot of things. (laughs) Michelle has worked in the UK, Canada and now the US, 
For years, she was a manager in the travel industry, and her reviews would often mention words like thorough and cautious. She says looking back, she was pretty meticulous about everything. I always got feedback of, you know, Michelle's very cautious and she makes really good decisions and she seems to look at every sort of scenario. And I really just thought that I was, <laughs> you know, smart and, you know, looking at all angles of, of a problem before, you know, suggesting solutions or directing staff on how they could maneuver through different problems. Just to be clear, what you found out through your research about split brain is that this is part of the condition, right? Yes. <laughs> um, and now I've sort of come to the conclusion that, you know, each hemisphere kind of fights with each other. You know, I think I really noticed going back to university at age 37, I went back to university to do a second BA in art history and then went on to do my master's in museology. And I had so much reading to do for um, every class. Um, some semesters I had six classes, so I had tons of reading. And I was really struggling with doing, you know, the reading the night before, like most students do, like I'll read that the night before the class. So it's really fresh in my brain. Um, but I found that um, I was reading things twice. And it was because the first time, first run through was for my right side of my brain. And the second run through was for my left side of my brain. And then after those two read throughs, they would sort of have an argument with each other to say, you know, what are, what are we reading here? And how can we disseminate this into something that makes sense? She began to wonder if she'd ever finish her degree with all the reading that was involved. She was suddenly aware of this condition she didn't even know she'd had before. And it really, I guess not to use a cliche, but it really did my head in. She didn't know what, if anything, to say to other people about it either. I don't tell everybody about it because it's something that you can't see. And when I first told family members about it, their response was, but look at you, like, look at you, you're going to university again, like you did this whole career in the, the travel industry, you're very successful. It clearly hasn't hampered any sort of progress or success in your life. Um, but I was starting to think differently, like, what if I had have known and could have, you know, maybe gotten accommodations or let colleagues know that this is this is how I function and this is my brain and and this is what I need in order to make those decisions. So I need, you know, a quiet space or I, I need more time to kind of look at all different areas. She started to doubt herself. On the one hand, it was all good. On the other, it was confusing. She'd found out that when you're born with split brain, it can be really debilitating. So there was a bit of guilt thrown in there, too. But Michelle got her BA and then went on to do her master's, with the help of an advisor she says kept her focused on what she could do, not what held her back. And all this time, she was becoming gradually more comfortable with her new identity as someone with split brain. Today, she works as a museum curator, and she's focused on ways to open up the art world to all different types of people. She says split brain is actually perfect for this work because it's not all about coming to one conclusion. 
I was really lucky to study in an academic museum. So I was engaging with sciences, with math, fashion students, um, and all coming in thinking about ways to interpret objects differently. And my brain loves this kind of stuff because it then gives me the feeling that because I think one way, I most often feel that I'm wrong because it's so different from everybody else. But when you get, you know, more than one opinion in a group setting, you tend to see that your view is not wrong and that everybody has a different view. I, I think that's what I love about the art world and museums is that interpretation is up to the viewer. Like all the guests in this episode, Michelle hopes workplaces can open up a bit more, be more inclusive for everyone. She thinks emerging from the pandemic might be the boost workplaces need to switch up the open plan office, for instance, which a lot of us were never crazy about. So it could be something like, you know, having a private pod at work that individuals can work, you know, separately in. Well, that benefits everybody because no doubt there's a time where a non-neurodiverse person could really benefit sitting in that pod. And enjoying a little peace and quiet. Paige Jeffrey has some parting advice for managers with staff who may not quite fit the office mould. They could have ADHD or another form of neurodiversity. I would say to people in management or in a position where maybe they have people on their team who have ADHD or who struggle with this kind of thing and don't even realize it, you know, don't be afraid to answer questions. <laughs> you know, maybe you don't want to spend forever doing the project for them, but sometimes just a few questions is all they need and that's enough for them to run off and do it. And it's going to save you time in the long run, you know, if you have some of that understanding and if you realize that uh, sometimes people's minds work a little bit differently and it doesn't make them a bad employee, you know what I mean? It, it means that their strengths are in different places. As with her. As she said earlier, once she knows what that box looks like, she can think outside of it. She says the way her ADHD brain works has given her a lot of creative freedom to do some amazing things. She just wishes more workplaces could think outside their own boxes. I think understanding is key to human relationships period. Having some understanding, having some knowledge at the fact that like some people think a little bit differently and that to play to their strengths is going to give you the best working team you could possibly have is really important and maybe something that isn't always talked about in all workplaces. Paige Jeffrey. Thanks to her, Michelle Jones and Emma Case for being my guests on this show. I will link you to more information about women and neurodiversity under this episode at thebroadexperience.com. And thanks to Emma for approaching me in the first place about covering this topic. I also want to say thank you to Mary Sire for her help with research for this episode. You listeners are a big part of The Broad Experience. Every one of the women in today's show is a listener with a story to tell, which just proves my belief that normal people are more interesting than most celebrities. If you enjoy this non-celebrity podcast, or if you think it could help somebody else, please pass it on. Email, social media, however you want to do it is great. That's the broad experience for this time. 
There will be a bit of a longer than usual break before you hear from me again, because I'm taking the time to get some new interviews done for some new shows. I'm also traveling to see my family for the first time in a year and a half. In the meantime, I'm Ashley Miltite. Thanks, as ever, for listening. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello, fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com.